podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Happy New Year, everyone. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 45 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and that means we're back for 2020 while also having a full house. Which means leading the line this week and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. Carl, happy new year mate and I hope all is well. Yeah, really good, Dan. It's been a feast of football, isn't it? And obviously, we just hope 2020 brings us um, some silverware for us, at least. Well, that'd be wishful thinking, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot forget Carl's strike partner either, and that means the supply line will be coming through Drew this afternoon. So, Drew, Happy New Year, and I hope all is well with you also. Happy New Year to you guys as well. Yeah, excited to be back. We've had a few weeks off, and with a ton of football happening over the past few weeks, I can't wait to talk about all of it, or, well, as much as we can in an hour. So I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Right. Before we do, i best do the social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. And also, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Or the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter, and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. Because the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where shall we go first? To be honest, there was so much football over the festive period, it's almost sort of meshed into one. I can't really sort of remember individual games, as it were. So trying to pick things apart would be almost impossible. Therefore, instead of working on a game-by-game basis, we're going to work team-by-team. So let's look back at the sort of the biggest headlines from all of that period. And in no particular order, let's start with West Ham and the fact they reappointed David Moyes as manager. So, Cole, I know hindsight is a wonderful thing, but it does beg the question, why on earth did they get rid of him in the first place? Yeah, really strange, isn't it, Dan? This kind of throws you back to Watford, wasn't it? You know, reappointing a guy they've had before not so long ago. And and you do kind of think, well, that sort of merry-go-round leads you to kind of question if there's a real vision or, you know, future bit planning by the board being done or whether they're just kind of going for potluck at the time, getting the best they can. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, you know, I've got a couple of West Ham mates and it wasn't exactly the announcement they were looking for. You know, it didn't send excitement through the ranks like, you know, possibly forever and Ancelotti coming was massive. Um, they were a little bit downbeat and a little bit disappointed. Um, you know, they wasn't great under him the first time. So they're not exactly looking forward to the, you know, the future under him again. Um, a really strange appointment. And you kind of sit there and think, well, you know, the board must see something in him. 
you know, he must excite them for some reason, but I don't think it does the fans. Um, and to be honest, I'm not too sure you can see him taking West Ham further forward than they are right now. Um, I, I just think it's an appointment that shows that bald and not really, they haven't got a plan in place for what they want to achieve at some point in the future. And they're just going back to someone who's a steady name, a known name. Um, and they might have been better off giving a young, up-and-coming, more exciting coach a chance to go in and help them push on to the next level. But as I say, my West Ham friends are not too happy. You know, they're not happy with the board there anyway. And I think this appointment kind of, you know, just helps that ill feeling towards gold and the people running the club. Because, Drew, if you look at David Moyes, obviously been there before, kept them up in 2017. Was it 2017? 2018. Like I say, all the seasons mesh into one as well. He has kept them up. I'm sure of that. So now he's got an 18-month contract, which obviously protects him from getting the boot at the end of the season. Obviously, that's not a cast-iron guarantee, but there won't be this same scenario as, well, thanks for your efforts, out you go. However, you know, as Carl was alluded to, it just seems to be quite short-term thinking here. Just another firefighter gets over the line, and then, you know, as a reward, you'll get next season. But it's not really sort of long-term thinking. You can't really see him going to the European heights that they dreamed of this time around. Yeah, honestly, I don't believe in his contract actually being worth 18 months. I really think it is just for the end of the year and they will part ways. I think more that extra year was to kind of humor him. Because if I remember correctly, David Moyes said he would not go as the caretaker just for the rest of the campaign. So I think West Ham just kind of threw that in there to get him on board. And I do think after this season, no matter how good or bad they do, if they survive relegation, if they somehow manage to fight for a Europa League spot, which I don't think is going to happen, I think no matter what, he's out the door after this season. And I almost wonder if Moyes is going to become one of the next managers that's a firefighter almost every single year. Allardyce, Pardue, some of those guys who went – from club to club, one after another, I think you might see David Moyes fall into that, much to his chagrin. And so, again, I think at West Ham, he stays the year, no matter how well they do, and then that's it. Yeah, I think you're exactly right in the terms of uh, what David Moyes does as his career from here on in. It's literally going to be no manager, sorry, no club's going to be willing to take on the start of the season. It's going to be a case of, right, we're in a bit of a mess. Who do we call? David. And I think that'll be it, really. I think it might even suit him to a certain degree, whether he wants to be out of work all the time, but I think this is going to be his cast-iron role now. He's the new Allardyce, Allardyce 2.0, as it were. But we talk of survival, Cole, and it seems as if the great escape is on for Watford because 10 points from 12 over the festive period was nothing short of incredible. It seems as if Nigel Pearce has gone back to basics. However, that approach is really working at the moment. Yeah, they've had a real good pick-up, haven't they, Andrew? You know, started off with a decent performance at Liverpool where, you know, on another day, if their strikers had their shooting boots on they could have maybe got something out of that game um, and since then they've been playing decently um, and it seems like that new manager effect that they were hoping for early in the season has finally kicked in um, I guess it's to see how long that can go on for it will be the interesting thing Deeney's back which I think is massive for them um, you know I don't think it can be underestimated how much he brings to that side and it's no coincidence that him coming back to kind of fitness and being in the team 
Pearson's come in and, as you say, gone back to some basics. Um, and, and they're actually now looking like a half-decent side. Whether or not this is too late will be interesting to see or whether or you know how long that new manager bounce lasts for. Um, I'd still put them down as possibly being one in the, you know, the team in the biggest um, trouble come the end of the season. But if they continue the way they are now, then they could get themselves out of it. And, you know, Pearson has done it before, hasn't he, at Leicester? So um, he, he's not too shy of knowing what needs to be done. So they may, they may have found the right mixture finally. Let's know. They've tried it. They've tried enough managers to try and find it. Well, Joe, this is it. I mean, we all talk about the new manager bounce. It's very apparent that it's happening at the moment. It will end at some point. So, really, I guess it's a case of Nigel Pearson making sure that results carry into 2020. And the key of that is going to be Troy Deeney firing on all cylinders. We've sort of seen it over the last couple of games, but that's going to be the crux of whether Watford stay up or not. Absolutely. I mean, that's what they were waiting for throughout the entire first part of the year, was waiting for captain, Mr. Watford, Troy Deeney, to come back and be fully fit. And now that he is, he started to score. His first one was a PK, which I think definitely helped him out a lot on that. And so I think Watford are going to rely on him and De Lufeo the most. Honestly, though, I'm a little worried that the new manager bounce is already starting to come to an end. Because if you look at their FA Cup match over the weekend, they went up 3-0 in the first half and then blew it in the second half and ended up drawing 3-3 with Tranmere and have to go through a replay. And so I kind of wonder... If you have a lead, if you're dominating the game that much and they and they surrendered it so easily, so meekly as they did, I'm starting to think maybe they're coming back down to earth a little bit from that new manager bounce. So if I'm Watford, they really have to have a good showing uh, in their next match, which is against Bournemouth, who's been struggling. So Watford, they have to get back on track. They can't let allowing that lead go against Tranmere affect them and start spiraling downhill again. Yeah, I think with Watford, Nigel Pearson made no secret of the fact that it was a much-changed team on Saturday and, you know, it's not their primary objective being in the FA Cup, you know, getting to the final again. That's not really the, the task in hand this season. So, yes, they'll have a replay. Yes, changes will be made again. So I think they just need to make sure they disassociate themselves from that Cup game. Yes, you're right that blowing a 3-0 lead to a league on opposition is far from ideal, especially when you're trying to build confidence and momentum. But I don't think it's necessarily going to derail them in terms of their sort of new manager bounce. I think Sunday is going to be the key. If they can sort of get back to winning ways, then, you know, 13 points out of 15, you're thinking, hang on, we could have something here. Another team that's done really well over the festive period, Carl, is Southampton, also getting 10 from 12. And when you consider that Ralph Hartenhutl's head was pretty much on the chopping block, you know, the guillotine was primed and ready to go, he's done an incredible job to turn things around, hasn't he? Yeah, they've had a really good turnaround, haven't they? As you say, since that Leicester game, They've kind of put in some really decent performances. You know, they, they should have won at the Emirates, shouldn't they, that day? You know, no one will know how they never managed to get that result over the line. But since then, they've just carried on um, playing some good football, getting some good results. There's the odd blip in there, obviously, which you expect. But the, when you've got someone like Ings on fire, the way he's playing at the moment, you know, and scoring goals and looking like the sort of player that Liverpool then purchased, you kind of think right now you, you could see them steering their way out of trouble if they carry on this way. I guess the interesting bit will be if they have a couple of bad runs on the spin, whether momentum can turn, but they're playing some good football. You know, they've got a few decent players. You know, Ward-Prowse, you've always got a chance at set plays with someone like him. 
as I say, Ings is playing really well. They've they've got themselves a little bit more solid at the back now, and they're picking the results up, and and that's all you can ask for. So you've got to give them credit for turning that round, because as you say, quite rightly, at one point there, he was the next man who was gone, wasn't he? In theory, but he, he got to give him credit for the job he's done there. And of course, Drew Southampton's climb at the table has been a team effort primarily. Although we cannot understate the contribution of Danny Ings. He's now scored 13 of their 25 goals this season. So it's now more than half. If he manages to keep them up, you get a feeling a big pay rise is going to be just around the corner for him. Yeah, and that pay raise should come directly from House and Hoodle's pocket. Danny <laughs> is single-handedly keeping him in a job right now. And, and I'm not trying to discredit no, no, anything, right. uh, anything else they've done to, to uh, pick up in the past few weeks. But, yeah, Danny Ings, I mean, as Carl talked about, he's been phenomenal over the past month or so and absolutely guiding this team. I mean, he right now is doing the same thing out Southampton as Aubameyang has done with Arsenal this year. He is single-handedly carrying that team and dragging them along. Uh, and so credit to him. And Hoodle, I hope he got Danny Ings a very nice Christmas present because he's the only reason that that he still has a job right now. Yeah, because Ings has got the biggest percentage goal contribution in all the Premier League at the moment, 52%, which, you know, you cannot understate how big that is. The only thing, I guess, that all Southampton fans and the manager have in the back of their minds is the fact that Ings does have a slightly indifferent injury history. So they'll be really, really hoping, you know, nothing goes wrong between now and May. Cotton wool, if he's not playing, ice baths, you get the idea. Take as much time off you want, Danny. We need you to be fit and firing. But if we go along the south coast, Carl, the image is slightly more bleak for Bournemouth. So they've been dragged into a relegation battle, one that you probably wouldn't have expected, say, even a month or two ago. And now this is going to be a real test for Eddie Howe, isn't it? Because if we look at him, his stock, if the Cherries do go down, that stock's going to take an almighty dent. And he then might think to himself, do you know what? I might stay there just a little bit too long. Yeah, I was just going to say, Dan, I, I think you, we could be in a situation here where Howe might have said, you know, do you know what, it's been one season too many and probably I should have either made a jump, you know, been brave, gone for something else or, you know, resigned and just waited to see, you know, what else might be out there. Um, they've had bad luck this season with injuries, haven't they? You know, some key players have gone down for them. You know, Aki at the back is massive for them. Um, you know, the only saving grace for them might be, I think he would have been on a lot of team shopping list in January. Um, so if that's off now because of the injury and they can get him back at least for the remainder of the season and, you know, he can solid them up, then that might help them. Um, but as you say, injuries seem to have taken a toll on a small squad um, and their performances right now are not good. And it's been the first time I've actually heard on some radio stations, you know, Bournemouth fans possibly questioning how and what he's doing and how they're playing under him. So I think, like as you say, quite rightly there, I think if you're Eddie Howe, you're maybe thinking this might have been one season too many and I should have looked to get out now. Um I, I worry for Bournemouth because I do think that, you know, this momentum with their squad injuries and the fact the lack of quality they've got to bring in, they could easily get sucked in. And, and I think they'd find it hard then to kind of recover from that if they go down, given their facilities and everything around them. Um, I, I'm not so sure if we'd see them manage to get themselves back up. But that's hope they can get some of them players back and maybe try and turn it around because, you know, it's great to have little teams like that in the Premier League sometimes. And they've done really well to mix it as long as they have. But I think, you know, we could be looking at one season too many unless they start to turn it around very quickly. 
Because, Drew, we've spoken about managers being at clubs for too long. Let's say Pochettino is a perfect example of that. Has a lack of fresh ideas caught up with Bournemouth? Or is it really just fundamentally this incredibly long injury list which has hampered them this season? Yeah, I think injuries are playing a very big part in it. Because if you look at their squad, they do have enough talent to remain in the Premier League. They have enough guys in there that play for their national teams here you know, here and there and whatnot. So they have enough quality. The problem is I think those injuries have taken them out, whether it's been up front um, or now at the back, as Carl talked about with Nathan Ake. And who knows, they may even have to sell him with his buyback clause uh, inserted in the contract when they got him from Chelsea. So if he then is gone for the rest of the year, that hurts them again. And so I think there's a lot of kind of unmitigated circu- or unmitigating circumstances stances that have hurt them and that's kind of led to this downturn in form and this is what's going to be key for for Eddie Howe is I think a lot of clubs who would consider hiring him are going to watch this and see how can he do with a team that's struggling in the relegation fight when their expectations have now risen to be we stay in the Premier League and so I think a lot of clubs are watching him with a very keen eye to see how he handles this situation. Well, this is it, Carl, isn't it? Because, you know, you look at someone like Eddie Howe and it's all about timing and momentum. And if this is someone who has been touted as a future England manager, a manager of potentially a team in what we traditionally call the big six, if he gets this wrong and they do get relegated, that's going to be such a backward step for him. So, you know, obviously, I guess there's lots of time for him to turn this around because he's still so young. But there must be like a hint of doubt and regret in his mind at this moment. Yeah, I think it's that thing, you know, maybe, you know, unfortunately for Eddie, once they came into the Premier League and kind of survived and then had a decent season, you probably kind of felt that would have been the time where for him as his career, he was hot property and you might have felt, well, there was the time really you needed to make the jump. As you say, the longer you drag it out, the more the people maybe see the football declines or the club don't improve as much then your stock starts to decline, doesn't it, slightly? Um, so maybe, as you say, if they went down, um, it'd be interesting to see who'd be looking around there. I mean, I felt Eddie Howe obviously should have done everything he could to have got that Everton job, but Everton maybe had bigger ideas, as it seems they have. Um, but he should have, in my opinion, thrown his hat in for that job because you don't really see what job, what other job there could be coming up that you think, well, he could take that and then push them on. Um, I thought Everton would have been the perfect place to do that for him and kind of be a good proving ground for bigger things. Um, but who knows? Hopefully he can keep them up. And But I do think at, this, at the end of this season, I'd be very surprised if we don't see him maybe making a jump somewhere else at the end, no matter what happens, whether they stay up or they go down. And Drew, is Eddie Howe somewhat hamstrung by the fact that bigger clubs, in inverted commas, aren't prepared to take the gamble on him? Everton being the perfect example, they've obviously got their own sort of grandiose stature where they want to be knocking on the top four door. So they're not really prepared to take what is a perceived risk. They want to go with someone who's had that experience to get him into the top four. So are clubs sort of looking too big and then overlooking Eddie Howe in the process? I definitely think he has been overlooked for a few different jobs. But I, I think it comes down to you know perception is reality, and for a lot of clubs, especially if you look at the big six clubs, you know they want a big name hire, they want a sexy hire, and most times, especially right now, that is going to come from abroad, and so unfortunately, I think Eddie Howe or or anyone else like him, Sean Dyche, etc., I think they are getting 
overlooked because they aren't a sexy big name hire. And it's unfortunate they've been at smaller clubs. On the flip side, for them, I think what they could do, and I know generally the stereotype is that uh, players or managers from the UK don't really go abroad, but that might be the best option for some of these guys. I mean, even if they were to go up to Scotland, let's say take over Celtic or something like that, get into the Champions League and you know have a respectable group stage outing, something like that, it might be best for some of them to leave the Premier League, leave England, and and go find greener pastures somewhere else if they are going to get overlooked. Okay, so the Cherries, they had the worst festive period out of the, sort of the four-game cycle. Another side that had little to write home about was Norwich. So they looked like they could be cast adrift at the bottom. There's still time to turn it around, but the fact they've not won in eight suggests they might be in more than a lot of trouble at the moment. So, Carl, if you're Daniel Farker, are you knocking on Delia's fist door asking for some money, or will the Norwich hierarchy look at this and think, Let's just ride this out to the end and what will be, will be. Yeah, I think at the moment, if you're Norwich, you're probably, you know, I think a lot of those clubs like that prepare themselves, don't they, for the season after and are possibly preparing themselves for life back in the championship. And they will sit there and think the money they've got, if they can keep hold of some of those players and the majority of that squad, you know, you would assume they might lose someone like Pookie in the summer, given the season he's had so far and kind of what he's shown. You'd imagine if they got relegated, another team would pick him off. But I think a club like Norwich are well-placed that if they go down, they're not going to suddenly be decimated in the summer by losing all of that squad and have to rebuild. They're probably in a good position to then have another good tilt at coming back the season after. Um, I fear for them. I don't think they've got enough about them to kind of see them safe this year. You know, they've got Pookie that they can catch teams on the counter. But I think, you know, people have wised up since the Leicester and Vardy season. So you don't kind of push too high up against him and get caught out. They'll have some good games. I still think, you know, they are capable of playing some good football, but I just don't think they'll have enough to get themselves out of trouble this year. But then I think the club's set up nicely that they can then have another great smash at it the following season. They won't go mad in January, that's for sure, trying to sort of like buy their way to safety. I think they're a bit too shrewd for that. And they're preparing for, you know, the future a little bit more than just trying to have one big bang in January. And when we're talking about money, Drew, Aston Villa, they certainly spent a lot of it in the summer. They may have to spend some more now because both Wesley and Tom Heaton have picked up injuries that will see him out till the end of the season. So the question is, does Joe Hart now become the answer? It sure looks like he is going to be. Somehow, after so many years out of the limelight, it looks like the former England number one is back uh, in the mix. Yeah, those are huge injuries for Aston Villa. You know, something we've talked about on this show is... They've been able to score. Aston Villa, for all their faults, for as low as they are on the table, they have been able to score goals. But now you take out their number nine, and and sure, Wesley hasn't been the most prolific number nine, or at least as much as they wanted. However, he still has been kind of a focal point for them and helped in the attack quite a bit. And so now losing him for the rest of the year, that's going to be a big blow. Aston Villa had enough problems staying in uh, the Premier League and now with, with some of these injuries piling up, it's going to get even worse. I fear they're going to panic by in January. If you look at the summer, they went and bought a pretty much all-new 11, kind of like Fulham did. And it backfired for Fulham, and it looks like it's going to do that for Villa. I think if you're already a sinking ship, I'm not saying that you just give up on the season. But adding gasoline to the fire 
probably isn't going to help either. So I think for Villa, if they're going to buy, they have to buy smart. But I fear they're going to panic buy and and way overspend and only hurt themselves for when they ultimately return to the championship. Well, this is what I was going to While ask. you're on that, Jude, yep. just, just breaking headline, I think, by looks of it on Sky, is that Villa have taken Danny Drinkwater on loan from Chelsea for the remainder of the season. There we so go. So that literally is their first transfer in January is to bring in Danny Drinkwater. So that, that's an interesting signing they've made there. Fantastic. Well, he's been absolutely fantastic for Chelsea, I think, playing less than five games in his <laughs> tenure. So go ahead and have Master Villa. You have another injury case on your hand. Well, so, he, smart purchase. Smart purchase to start off January. I mean, he was on loan at Burnley did absolutely nothing as well, so it doesn't bode well for Villa. But, um, Carl, I was going to ask you, we're pretty much sort of touching it, but £100 million has already been spent. Dean Smith is probably going to be knocking on the chairman's door. Are they going to roll the dice? Because this is a team with, I guess, a bigger stature to them themselves. They're probably going to look at it and think, well, we've been out of the championship, so we've been out of the premiership for a bit now. We don't want to return back to the championship after having such a stint there before. So, they probably have the capacity to roll the dice, but as Drew intimates, that does come with a massive gamble at the same time, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. I, you know, you kind of think those clubs would be Spartan. I mean, maybe we've seen the first sign from Villa there that what they might try and do is get in some loan purchases um, and see them through to the end of the season and hope that you know a few loanees being brought in can kind of steady the ship and get them out of trouble. Um, I don't think it's smart for any of those clubs that possibly could be on the brink to go and suddenly blow, you know, say a hundred mil in January trying to buy their way out because. You know, sometimes that doesn't work. And as Drew said, you know, it is a massive gamble that if it backfires, you've just gone and brought in loads of players on Premier League wages. And then you don't want to be in the championship having those players on your books because, let's face it, they're not going to be bringing in massive world stars that you know you could just get rid of in the summer easily. And you then then can end up being left with those players and they start dragging you down as a club because they then don't want to be in the championship themselves. So maybe some, you know, if if they're shrewd, they could get some good loan signings in that might see them out of trouble. Um, And then you go from there again and, and start again in the summer. But they will be one that, you know, Grealish is going to be their main man, isn't it? You know, keeping him now fit till the end of the season and hope that he can kind of produce performances that get them out of trouble. One team that's doing their best at the moment to keep their heads above water is Burnley, Drew. But three straight defeats. They go to Chelsea at the weekend. Sean Dyche is going to be aware that this particular unwanted streak is going to have to come to an end soon. Otherwise, they themselves will be pulled into a relegation battle. Yeah, absolutely. Burnley, you know, credit to them. I think... Right now, halfway through the season, they are kind of exactly where they're supposed to be. It's an uncomfortable position, of course, only a few points above the relegation zone. But I think you kind of have to look at them and say they've been an average side. They've done exactly what we expected of them before the season started. So in that regard, I think Sean Dyche has done a fine job. I think the squad has done just adequately Uh, as anyone could have expected. But with Chelsea coming up, with Manchester United coming up, with Arsenal not too far down the road as well, I think Sean Dyche definitely has to make sure his team is still focused after the very hectic, very wild, festive period. Because if they let off the gas now because they think, oh, finally we have some breathing time or some breathing room, I think it's going to come back to haunt them in a match or two and they're going to you know, blow a lead, drop some points when they shouldn't. So I think for Burnley, they have to be very careful with some tough matches coming up uh, in the coming weeks. 
And Cole, another team that's lost their last three are Newcastle. And I guess the same goes for the Magpies in the sense that they'll need to arrest that slide as quick as possible, especially when you consider the likes of Southampton and Watford are now in the ascendancy. Yeah, momentum's massive, isn't it? And, you know, Newcastle started picking up some really good results that made you kind of feel they'd be okay this season. But, you know, it does only take two or three bad results and suddenly you can't turn things around. So, as you say, they want to get back to winning ways and putting in those performances that were kind of getting Steve Bruce suddenly some plaudits um, before it gets too late and they get sucked into that battle um, because no one wants to be in it. Um, I think they've got the quality there, possibly, and, you know, the players to maybe be safe this season. Um, so I, I think they'll just stay out of it. But definitely, you know, they need to get a result on the board because, yeah, you don't want to get sucked in and, and it, momentum is a massive killer. Right. That brings us to the end of the first half. Don't go anywhere because we'll be back in the second half very, very soon. Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool, pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win at Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Right then, welcome back. Hope you're still there. Before we digest the rest of the Premier League teams and how they've done over the Christmas period, just a quick recap on Loserpool. Over Christmas, Carl went for Norwich to lose. Drew went for Sheffield United to lose. I went for Leicester to lose. They all came good. So it means that two points for each competitor. Carl's on 18 points now, so he's still unbroken. That's nine picks in a row. Drew hot on his heels with eight. I'm languishing on 10. So I'm pretty much in the basement, but it's a juggernaut of a title race at the top. Cole versus Drew. We're not going to offer up any picks this week because we've got so much to recap. Next week, business will be back to normal as we'll have another round of Loserpool picks. So don't forget those. Don't forget to visit loserpool.com and create an account because you can win £1,000. Right then, that's the Bills pay for this week. Let's focus on two men in relatively new roles. And you have to say from a league point of view, Drew, that Everton have picked up some form of new manager bounce under Carlo Ancelotti. Seven points for possible 12. And although their season won't amount to too much at the moment, or if at all, you get the feeling that safety is going to be eventually found quite easily. Yeah, I think there has been a significant uptick in form, even though the points and results haven't quite reflected that yet. I think the change to more of a back three or five, I guess, at times helps a lot with Everton, with especially how poor they were defensively. I think having one more man back there kind of helps shore that up. And so you see these different changes under Ancelotti so far. And so, again, even though they haven't gotten the points, I think Everton are showing a nice uh, surge in form. And I think they will, as you said, comfortably survive in the Premier League this year. They've jumped all the way up to 11th already, although that's a bit deceiving with how many teams are kind of scrunched together. Um, but Everton, I think, they were going to come good. It was only a matter of time. And now that they do have the new manager and a bit of a bounce, I think they're going to be just fine. And they're going to end up finishing comfortably mid-table. Well, Cole, for Arsenal, it's been a rather indifferent spell. Although, that said, a win over Manchester United at the end of it sort of at least gave it something of a you know a decent end. So, almost something of a surprise, that win. You know, United sort of 
on the sort of fringes of Champions League places, doing their best to get into the top four. So had Arsenal not won that game, that would have been a very bleak midwinter for the Gunners. So you'd have to say still plenty of work to be done for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I think now again for Arsenal, I think this is just a kind of bedding in now, isn't it, to the end of the season. And obviously they'll they'll try to, I'm sure they probably would like to think themselves that they can fight for top four. But I think realistically, you know, with Arteta there now, they just want to kind of regroup, let him bed in and start putting his ideas across. If they can get Europa League football, then again, he gets a summer to kind of build and bring in his players and then they'll look to go again. Um, I think the big question marks with Arsenal will still be defensively. I mean, if you look at the cup game last night, you know, Leeds United really gave them a good game and kind of cut them open quite often. So I still think Arsenal will get caught out defensively because that is their massive weak area. Um, You know, going forward, they're okay. You know, Lacazette and Aubameyang will score them goals. Um, So I think they'll have an indifferent end of the season. You know, they'll win a couple but they'll also lose the standard couple of games that you think they shouldn't be losing. Um, it's just to see what Arteta can do now and start putting his ideas across, you know, finally see where people like Ozil stand and whether, you know, they finally manage to get rid of him in the summer and just bring new blood in. Um, but, yeah, I don't see nothing exciting for Arsenal till the end of the season, but it will be interesting to see how Arteta gets on and how he can take that job on because, again, that was a gamble um, employment, wasn't it? You know, no real managerial history. It's either going to crash and burn in typical Arsenal fashion or it'll make a success of the role. And Drew, if we go across North London, it seems there's a lot of work to be done for Jose Mourinho. Now, you know, you look at his salary, £15 million a year. That new manager bounce we've just mentioned, that's been and gone. Spurs almost sort of regressing to the uh, the type of the last days of Poch. So this is where the money is have to really be earned from the special one, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I... From the get-go, I thought for sure the first thing Mourinho fixes and gets Spurs back on track is defensively. That's been his M.O. every club he's ever been at is that pragmatic, strong defensive approach. And so I expected that, and it hasn't really gone to plan. Spurs have not been keeping clean sheets. They have lost a lot more games than I think they expected to under Mourinho. And so you're right. He's definitely got to earn his money. Here's the thing that I think people who are interested in watching Jose Mourinho and Spurs and how this is going to play out, this is what you got to pay attention to, is already you're starting to see the grumpy old Mourinho come back. When he first took on the, the job at Tottenham, he was all smiles, happy, excited to be back managing. The year off changed his perspective on things. Right, That was kind of the image that he was, he was giving off to the public. And now he's kind of going back the other way. In the FA Cup, the balls were to blame because they felt like beach balls. And uh, not too long before that against Southampton, he was rude, he said, he admitted. But then he also called the Southampton uh, technical staff, whoever it was, an idiot. So I think you're starting to see the cracks in this facade of happy Mourinho. And so I'm wondering, how long can he really keep this up? Are they going to finally kick on and be a Mourinho-esque team as we've all come to expect over the past decade or so. I'm starting to doubt whether that's going to happen because of his change in attitude so swiftly in the past couple of weeks. Cole, in a sense, has that new manager bounce been not the worst thing that could happen to Spurs, but in a sense, it's lifted everyone's expectations because we were sort of thinking, yeah, top four, it's going to be easy. And now it's like, 
Oh, bollocks, we're back to where we were. So it's almost like that blip sort of raised everyone's hopes and now it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for Jose, I think he's, you know, he's being killed and I think any manager would just with the fact that you've got a, you know, a squad there that's ageing and actually just kind of can't cut it at the top anymore. You know, too many players there are on the decline right now. And and I think it's to be hard for any manager to kind of turn that round. Um it doesn't look like he's settled on his kind of formation and the players that he wants to play in certain positions. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, chopping and changing centre-halves, you know, trying the Tongan out as a full-back to see how he gets on. So, again, you kind of get the feeling he's not settled. You know, we've had a massive 65 million summer signing who, who can't run for longer than 20 minutes before being cropped and out. Um, that hasn't helped, you know. And, and I think, these are the problems he's going to find. But I, I'm like Drew, you know, we all thought he'd come in, steady us up at the back. You know, probably everyone made us favourites for the FA Cup because you're thinking, right, well, Jose will certainly get that on board, you know, straight away. And I think reality is hit just at the fact that we're probably just not good enough right now and the players that we've got are just not good enough. Um, and obviously he'll need a bit of time and, you know, maybe a full summer to work and, and get some players in. I don't see nothing massive happening in January for us. Um, other than shipping some players out, so yeah, he needs to try and get some get something solid and get us playing again. You know, we we had that early manager bounce, but as you say, Danny, it seems to have gone now, and we're back to playing some pedestrian football, unfortunately. And Drew, one of the players who, if you believe the papers today, might be on his way out is Harry Weeks, and surprisingly, it could be to a Manchester club. Can you actually see that happening? If it did happen, could it give him the kick on that his career actually needs? Because you almost get the sense now that. He's not really a Mourinho type of player and he might need a move to really fulfil his potential. Yeah, I think for Harry Winks, he's not going to see as much game time as he needs under Mourinho. He doesn't even really fit anywhere within the typical 4-2-3-1 setup that Mourinho uh, employs. And so for Harry Winks, I definitely think if Mourinho is going to be there for the foreseeable future, which... Honestly, may not even be the case, but that's a different uh, thing to talk about. I think for Harry Winks, if Mourinho's going to be there, it's probably worth it to him to leave. I don't quite know if he's good enough for Manchester City, but for Manchester United, I think he could definitely go in there. They have problems in the midfield, and he might be able to help them, and it might help his career to have a change of scenery. So yeah, for Harry Winks, I think if he can get a January move, which is probably unlikely to be leaving Spurs, but if he gets it, I think that might not be a bad shout for him to to go to Manchester United. Okay, so Tottenham, they're two places clear of Sheffield United, and they finally suffered some away defeats over the festive period. Although when you consider they lost to both Liverpool and Man City, they certainly didn't disgrace themselves, and especially Cole, as the ref assisted one of the City goals. Yeah, they, they, they've been really good, haven't they? So this kind of dip was expected to come at one point, wasn't it? Um, I think, you know, they've certainly made sure they're safe this season. Um, and Chris Wilde has done an amazing job. And, and those them as a team play some really good football. Um, so I think we was expecting that little blip from them. I don't think they'll be too disappointed if they can just pick up again and kind of get on that winning way, playing that good football then they'll see the season out and they could even be a surprise package that puts through Europa League plays. Um, they will have the odd dip along the way and let's face it, losing to Liverpool isn't no shame in that this year. Most of us and most of our teams will do that this season. So 
they they want to try and just get back on that winning run because as we always say that word momentum you know it can be a killer if you get on the wrong side of it um but i think they've been brilliant and and they're still playing some half decent football so they'll be more than safe and they have had some terrible luck with our goals haven't they you know some of the stuff that's had they've had go against them this season has been laughable at points Yes, and that brings us nicely on to the vast-sized elephant in the room because, Drew, we have to mention it again because it's been such a big topic over Christmas. That is VAR. Surely now we're at breaking point. But even if we get to breaking point, you do get the feeling nothing's going to change until next season at the earliest. So, yeah, there was a ton of them. And I think the most egregious one was in an Aston Villa game. I don't remember who they were playing. I believe it was Burnley. That's right. Yes. And... Wesley was flagged for offside. A goal was taken away when he was with his back to goal, walking away. Maybe the engraving or, or on his shoes or the embroidering was offside on his heel, maybe. But that was the most egregious one. And this nightmare that is VAR continues to get worse. And the fact that they flagged him for offside when he didn't even really play part in the goal as the ball was cleared and then went back into attack for a second attempt, this is just got getting out of hand absolutely right now. And, and the one you mentioned in the Manchester City-Sheffield United game where the ref tried to get out of the way of the play but ended up blocking off a Sheffield United player, Man City gains control, hits him on the break for a goal. VAR was not used then. and it, it, All these problems, I think it's just piling up and people are really fed up with it especially i know i am and i don't think anything is going to happen i did appreciate i did appreciate though in the fa cup when michael oliver went over to uh the pitch side monitor and checked for a kick out from luka milivojevic saw it ended up changing from a yellow to a red for that and so i did appreciate that and i hope that's going to happen in the premier league I don't think it will happen. I guarantee they're going to dig their heels in. And most likely, at least for the rest of the year, uh, as you talked about, and then from there move on and hopefully change it to where uh, referees will be using the pitch side monitor. Hopefully that's going to be the case. We saw it in the FA Cup this past weekend, and hopefully that becomes the case in the Premier League. Yeah, that brings you on to the next point, actually, uh, Carl, because the FA Cup, as Drew mentioned, it was used. But the FA and the Premier League, two different entities. So you get the feeling the Premier League are going to continue to bury their heads in the sand. And almost, they've set a, I guess a, a stick for their own back in the sense that they haven't used it in the first half of the season. If they start using it in the second half of the season, the integrity of the competition is pretty much buggered, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see how you can go into a competition where it's used in some games and not in others. You know, for me, that should have been, you know, you need to make a decision either way. It's either used in all games and you you have to take that technology and implement it everywhere, which you can't do. So the obvious solution is you don't use it because this whole thing about whatever well, you're at a Premier League ground, it can be used because you've got the technology. Well, that's just a farce of a system, to be honest. And again, when you look at the incident we had last night in that Arsenal game, how you can have the incident in the Palace game is deemed as a red card. And then VAR looks at the Lacazette incident last night where he blatantly kicks a Leeds player in the back and he doesn't even get, you know, that doesn't even get a, a yellow card or anything, you know, overturned to a red card. That it just farcical and it, it does just, it just makes everyone frustrated because the consistency just isn't there. Um, so, yeah, ridiculous decision for me. 
VAR should not be being used in the FA Cup if not everyone can use it. And Drew, we talk about sort of dodgy VAR decisions over Christmas. Pookie, to the naked eye, I don't know about you, but I thought that was onside. Admittedly, my team benefited from that, but I don't think they should have. You know, how on earth can that be given as an offside goal? Well, it certainly didn't look offside, but you know what even the bigger problem for me was? The camera angle. If they're supposed to be – I mean, it almost looked as if the camera angle was from the corner. It wasn't even along the touchline anywhere. And if they're going to be using this technology and you have to see and they're measuring by the millimeters, that camera angle at you know 45 degrees creates a way different image in your mind, I think, than if you have it along the touchline or at least closer to it. And so that was a big issue for me was that was the angle from, you know, behind the corner flag. That's how they're going to assess two guys being level. I, I think, you know, that that's an, uh, a thankless task. And so they have – I, I think that was the biggest problem with Pukis in particular. But, yeah, the, some of these decisions are so tight. I think the what people are getting so mad at is the punishment doesn't fit the crime. I think if someone – and take Pookie as an example, is marginally offside. And, and even at that, it's questionable if if he even is. To then take away a goal, I think that's where people feel it's unjust, is that the crime is so minuscule if it even exists, and yet the punish, punishment is huge, like you committed a red card offense by having a, a, a goal taken away. So I think that is also what's really getting at people. Carl, I guess this begs the question... Do we have to take offsides out of the use of VAR? Just take it away completely and just have it for missed infractions. You know, leave it to the linesman because ultimately they're almost becoming redundant now. They're just sort of signalling for thrones and corners. They need to have their job, so why not give it back to them? Yeah, it's, it's a real strange one, isn't it? I mean, as you say, they've either got to clear the, the rules up and, you know, why can't we go back to maybe, say, this daylight? thing you know where if you know if, if you're looking at just a toe being offside or like we say even a heel for me that shouldn't be offside you know in my theory if the main part of your body is level then you should be kind of on the side and maybe there needs to be some kind of like daylight rule where it's like there, if there need would need to be daylight between the defender and the forward for the forward to be signaled as offside that to me would be the easier way to clear it up and then all these decisions that we've seen given this season, you'd basically say it's level, the striker is onside, the goal should stand. Or as you say, Dan, if you can't clear it up and we can't define it that well, then let's just get rid of it for being used there. you know. And in that way, as you say, you give it back to the linesman and we just go with what they call on the pitch, you know, or... You know, it, there's no real easy way to clear it up, is there? You know, and let, you know the way it's being used right now, we're seeing goals that should be given, not given, and it is. It's just killing it for everyone because there's a lot of use with VAR. You know, it can come into play and it can have its benefits, but the way these offsides are being given, it's killing it for everybody. So they either do need to sort this out and come up with a definitive rule or way of you know giving the decisions for offside or not or just possibly scrap it altogether for that. You know, we what we probably need now is a new, you know, if you remember the old Sabutio pitches, yep. there was the box and then you had another line just drawn outside the penalty area where you couldn't be offside if you're inside that area. Um, we need to come up with something else because VAR isn't working. Yeah, because, I mean, fundamentally, VAR is meant to be for clear and obvious errors. What they are ruling out in terms of offside are not clear and obvious. So surely... That- 
that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. You've you've seen it used really well. And if you look at the Bournemouth goal at Chelsea, that's where you want to see VAR used because the guy was on side and he puts it away nicely. And in theory, that goal would have been ruled out and Bournemouth would have been done out of a you know valuable three points. But as you say, these decisions that they're giving right now, it's not clear. It's not obvious. When you're having to draw lines to within a millimetre and look at toes and centimetres, that's not clear and obvious, you know. So it, it just makes it a farce and it does just do what it's done and it annoys everybody. And we end up possibly scrapping something that could be of really good use to football. And Drew, if we're to believe the recent rumours, there's supposedly been dialogue from FIFA saying to the Premier League, use the monitors or we'll switch the whole thing off. Will it come to that or is this nothing more than brinksmanship? It's all lip service. I don't think that's really going to happen because at that point, FIFA is making the Premier League the victim because they're attacking them. Now, yes, you could say they got a warning, the Premier League brought it on themselves, and fine. But I think a lot of people are going to look at FIFA as being the aggressor. So I don't think that's the right move at all. And taking away VAR, you know, maybe that's a short-term solution. But at some point, they're going to have to bring it back in the Premier League anyways. And so I I don't think that's really going to work. I think it's all just showmanship and it's all just, uh, you know, uh, fighting through the media. That's all it is. I guess we best talk about Liverpool, although to be honest, I'm running out of things to say about them. 37 games unbeaten now. The next hurdle to clear will be 40, and that will equal Chelsea's streak under Jose Mourinho. Carl, that should be good for that one. More importantly, can they get to 50? I think they will, Dan, to yeah, be honest. I think, I think it. Yeah, I think they've just got it going their way at the moment, and they seem to be a juggernaut that no one can stop. You know, even, even when they put the side out with some kids in it, you know, they're, they're getting the results over the line. Um, they're, you know, they're either playing great football and destroying teams, or they're possibly, you know, riding their luck but still winning one or two nil at the end of the day. I think this is a team that are going to go to the end of the season unbeaten. And, and could possibly even, you know, that you wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they won the league and the Champions League again this season. You know, I, I think they've got that much momentum and that much good feeling. And, you know, they are a class act. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, I can see them having a, you know, a real invincible season and just going from strength to strength at the moment. Yep, I think exactly right. Everything's up for grabs. Like nothing's off the table for Liverpool. The way they're playing at the moment, you just wouldn't put anything past them. Drew, you get the last word. It's about your beloved Chelsea. Not a perfect Christmas, but when you consider drop points from all their perceived rivals, they pretty much got out of that hectic, festive period unscathed, didn't they? Yeah, for everyone who's fighting for a top four position, or especially for fourth place, I think Chelsea have to be the happiest. They weren't perfect over the festive period, but taking points and and winning over Arsenal uh, and Spurs. And then, of course, in the FA Cup, they won where uh, Spurs, who else? Manchester United, Wolves, they're all playing replays. And so they're going to you know, expend another 90 minutes of energy kind of pointlessly where Chelsea don't have to. So I think they kind of got one foot in the door, or I guess one hand, uh, a hold of fourth place. They definitely missed the opportunity of getting both when they lost to Southampton and when they lost to Brighton. But again, I think overall, Chelsea are probably happiest out of all the teams fighting for top four uh, after the festive period. Right, that all but concludes our Premier League wrap-up for the festive period. Apologies if you're a Man City, Leicester, Wolves, Man United, Crystal Palace or Brighton fan. We didn't get to you. To be honest, there's not really a lot of 
things that happened over Christmas for those clubs that just sort of played football. Blame VAR. They took your minutes. Right, so that's out of the way. This first episode of 2020 is out of the way. So I just need to thank my duo of sterling guests. Drew, fantastic work as always. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Dan. And then obviously, Carl, great speaking with you. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year to everybody listening. Hopefully, it's going to be a great year for you guys and uh, your club. Well, depending on who you support, hopefully it'll be a good uh, uh, year for you guys. But I'm happy to be back. I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, buddy. And Cole, I think it's fair to say we've removed the ring rust, bring on 2020 and all the episodes ahead of us. Yeah, bring it on, Dan. And like Drew said, Happy New Year to everyone. I hope most of you get what you want. Um, maybe not Chelsea or Arsenal fans, you know, <laughs> sorry to say. Of um, course, yeah, right. It, it'd be a great episode. Good to talk to you guys and look forward to doing it again. Fantastic. Right. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.